As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello again, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont and live from the beautiful Raleigh Marriott, uh, where (laughs) she is holed up for... Lightning Hurricanes. It's AJ Maletsko. AJ, how are you? I'm good, Arthur. Yeah, it's actually it's it's not so bad. We had a day off yesterday. Not great weather, but today, game two, the PNC Arena. So see if the Hurricanes can tie up the series. And there is great atmosphere there, and there was great atmosphere in Boston for the team that we tend to focus on here, <laughs> uh, and uh, and a great game, a great game too. Not just for the Islanders, but I think for everybody, this series uh, is so far as advertised. Maybe game one was a little bit lopsided. I know there were some fans that were tweeting at me or messaging me that um, they felt like the sky was falling after the way the Islanders played in game one. And as usual, Barry Trotz and his team had an answer. Um, First off, just watching that game too, were you surprised at all at how well they played? I mean, that that was a game, obviously went to overtime, could have gone either way, but the Islanders really were the were the dominant team for a lot of that game. And that has to be encouraging to see. Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all, just based on the fact that you and I have had the great pleasure of watching this team over the course of some years. You're you longer than me. Um, I'm not surprised by their resilience. I'm not surprised by their, they're battle tested. They're ready. Um, they're, they are a gritty team and Barry Trotz ha- really can push all the right buttons. And we, we sit here and, speculate on what he's going to do and talk about maybe he should have done this or why is he doing this? And at the end of the day, I think he continually proves why he is such a phenomenal coach uh, in the NHL, just based on the decisions that he makes, what, how he's able to motivate these guys. And, you know, I mean, for, for the Islanders to steal a game on the road in a very hostile environment in a, in the way that they did, right. I mean, they go down, they have a, a crazy second period. They go up by two, they lose the lead to two goals to the perfection line, right? And to me, that didn't feel good. I thought when they when uh, when they tied when Bruins tied the game up late in the third, I was like, this is this just doesn't feel good to me. Um, and I just thought it was a really impressive, gritty win. Uh, but at the end of the day, looking back, big picture, it really doesn't surprise me. I mean, what about you? Did you expect them to have a little hangover from game one? I didn't, and I didn't. You know, I, I was kind of with Barry. I didn't think game one was as lopsided as as everyone was making it out to be. Um, you know, it was two two into the third. The Islanders had a power play early in the third. It was a terrible power play in game one. Uh, and the Bruins came right down and, and took the lead. And obviously when Pasternak 
gets a hat trick. Um, that's kind of a headline making event where a guy has a hat trick and the way that he scored those goals kind of off of rebounds, it sort of threw a lot of things into question with the Islanders. Could they control the perfection line? Um, you know, was Sorokin looking a little bit shaky? Would they go to Varlamov? Barzal and Eberly were kind of no shows. What were they going to do with that? I think everybody was kind of had a little bit of a freak out. And I think the thing, as you pointed out, all of my years of covering this team and really both of us the last few years of covering Barry Trotz coached Islander team, they don't freak out. You know, um, that's for everybody else to do. And I certainly okay if you're a fan to freak out because not just uh, wanting to see your team win, but also the years and years of futility that where maybe the teams didn't have that kind of mental fortitude. But this is a good team and they know how to play in tight situations. So I, I wasn't I didn't think it was great that they lost the lead in this back half of the third period in game two, but it seemed like once they got it to overtime, the the, the ability of these guys to reset uh, with every period, even with every shift sometimes, is really impressive, and they've built up their experience over the last couple of years of being able to do that. Um, and then it was a very unlikely hero in Casey Sezikis. I think we say unlikely hero for the Islanders an awful lot because it always seems to be somebody you don't expect. Uh, and him scoring his first playoff goal in six years, which is it was a span of 47 games, which has to be some sort of record because you don't usually get that kind of span for especially for a forward on the same team in the, in the postseason. Um, but yeah, you know, and then he you know hasn't scored a playoff goal in six years, and he delivers a perfect shot on on one of the better goalies in the league. It's what it a always shot. yeah yeah, and and you know he's talking about how he was rushing down the ice because he knew the ice was bad and Lausanne was right behind him. And then he, you know, snaps one off like that instead of trying to make a move. It's, yeah, it's, you know, there's things that happen where you say, geez, how did they do that? And I I think after the third or fourth time over the last couple of years, you stop saying that and be like, it's the Islanders. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, by the way, Sezikis, you have to be happy for that guy. Like, it's just he, in Barry Trotz, that heart and soul guy, locker room erupted when he came in after his press conference. Like, just one of those guys that's been around um, on the Islanders for a long time and he's done so much of the hard work um, and he's such a big part of that room. Um, so it, it's amazing to see him get that opportunity, not just to create the opportunity and take advantage of the miscue by the Bruins, but to, he was like, he was shot out of the cannon. Right. And I think, I think Tuca was actually expecting a deke because he had so such a big step. Um, and it was, it was just, it was a laser of a shot. What a finish from Casey Sezika. So, and that smile and everything, it was, it was fantastic. So, but to your point, unlikely hero, you know, that begs the question, where are the likely heroes and what are, what are, what's going on with them? Right. I mean, and then you, and specifically looking at Matt Barzell, not putting up the goals that people expect of him, but he definitely looked good last night and he drew attention. And, you know, sometimes when you get to these series, uh, the playoff runs, I think the top the stars sort of cancel each other out. And I'm certainly seeing that here in Raleigh for this central division matchup, it seems like. Um, but I thought maybe that would happen, but of course you get the perfection line with two, two of the goals in the third period, uh, pasta with the hat trick in the, in the first game. So, you know, those stars are producing, uh, but I did think that that top line did a good job and, um, you know, and you said it in your article that I read this morning, it, Matt Barzell was getting inside. That's when through the years, that's when we see when he's engaged and he's driving the net and he's willing to take the hacks. That to me is when he's doing the most damage when he's not is when he's 
handling the puck in the perimeter. He's in the corner and he looks great because he's got the puck on his stick for a long time, but he's not actually creating any dangerous chances. So I think that's great news for the Islanders because if he's drawing attention that way, it does open things up for the other lines. Um, you know, and, and you do hope that that Nelson line will continue to produce um, because Bailey had a big one and Bovillius had some big ones, Brock obviously too, especially in the first round. So that when they get their depth scoring going, it does, it does sort of feel like everybody, almost everybody is unlikely heroes with, with the exception of maybe one or two people on the, on the team. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, they're a no star team. I mean, I know Barzal is an elite player and everyone kind of says like, is he a superstar? Is he not? Like, I, I think the correct response to that is it doesn't matter, you know, not on this team anyway. <laughs> I'm sure it matters to him to get to that level and try to be a guy who can take over games or have a line that can dominate the way that the way that the Bergeron line does. But in this context with this team, it just doesn't matter. You know, they, the only way that they win is by committee. And, um, you know, if he's a part of that, that's great. Uh, and if he has a dominating game like he had at some points in the regular season, also great. And it's incredible skill. And, you know, he's he's got a new contract and all that other stuff. But really, um, singling out one guy on this team is is sort of a, a, a useless effort just because of the way they play. And now I will segue right from that into singling out two guys in John Gabriel Pajot and Kyle Palmieri. And I don't want to leave out Travis Ajak on that line. But if there was something that was really good and consistent over these two games, I think it was that line. And, um, you know, we said it a lot uh, on last year's podcast in the summer, um, the 2020 bubble, where Pajot just had not necessarily game after game of like dominating offensive performances, but coming up with big goals at big times and just generally being a big game player. And, um, you know, maybe of anybody on this roster, uh, he might be the biggest big game player. And he did it again last night. Palmieri jumped on board too and maybe had his best game as an Islander, digging around the crease. Zajac was, uh, is a tougher guy than I think I gave him credit for, not having watched him that closely over all his years in Jersey. That line is such a – it's so interesting to see the, the three guys that, you all, that they got at the, the last two deadlines – being uh, ma- making such a big impact and having such a big uh, effect on the outcome has got to be vindicating, I'm sure, for Lou Lamarillo and kind of a, a, a pleasant feeling for all the fans watching. Well, yeah, I mean, and talk about Lou Lamarillo, right? I don't think he necessarily cares what we think of him. Actually, I know he doesn't care what we think of him, nor the rest of you that are listening. No offense, but um, he has, he's never, he's done things his way and they've been very successful. And um, I think that it does speak to his experience, knowing what he's trying to accomplish, all the puzzle pieces. And, and, you know, Pajot was, was a big one last year and, you know, the trade and then the immediate long-term signing. And then he doesn't win a game in an Islanders Jersey during the regular season. And it, all these question marks and you're right. He came up and to me, if I talk to players, uh, you know, when I used to coach up in Massachusetts, I'd tell them to keep an eye on somebody like Patrice Bergeron, right? Just, he plays the right way. Yes. Pasta is fun to watch and Marchand too. And, you know, all these different things, but Bergeron plays the right way. And I would say the same thing. Um, to Islanders fans about Pajot. He really does play the right way, and he's undersized relative to this league. He plays much bigger than his – he's listed as five foot eleven, and we've talked about it on the pod. That is has to be inaccurate. But still, <laughs> he, he plays much bigger than even that, and and he takes incredible, um, incredibly important face-offs, and he matches tough lines, and he plays D-zone tenaciously – and he puts up and he shows up offensively for the big games and he plays penalty kill and he plays power play. I mean, you really can't get more versatile than that. And I think a lot of times when you hear a player is 
versatile. It's a compliment, but sort of a backhanded compliment in the sense of you're not going to be one of our stars. You're going to be one of our, you know, support players. You'll be versatile. You're, you're valuable in that sense. But you look at Pajot and his versatility makes him a star to me and makes him just such a critical component of this machine that Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz are putting together. And the fact that he's played with different wingers so, so much in his time wearing an Islanders jersey, right? And yes, he, last night that line was amazing, but he's had great chemistry with, um, with Wallstrom when he's in and he's had, you know, he, he's been able to mentor the younger players and he's been able to gel with the older players. And, um, and I just think it's impressive, but, you know, specifically to Paul Mary, when he came over recently and, and there were some question marks because he didn't score. He scored one goal maybe in the regular season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, maybe two. I think it was two, but two. Okay. Still not, one, a, yes. not a lot. Not what people expected of him. Right. And then he comes in and he's already, I think, doubled his point total in the postseason from his regular season. So I, to me, he, it shows that what you do in the postseason matter is weighted much more heavily than what you do in the regular season, even though it's a shorter amount of time. And I think that those two guys, and Zajac too, to your point, I haven't seen him play as much, but I was really impressed with him last night. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So everyone's on a high. It was a great game. A few dilemmas, I guess you could call them. I mean, you know, we've got two days until uh, game three back at the Coliseum, which will be amazing. And I'm sorry you won't be there to experience the almost full building that's going to go completely bonkers. But uh, I'll I'll send you some audio or something if if I can. Please do. Uh, And I'll be there in spirit. (laughs) Um, You know, I think Barry Trotz after game one, he was hinting at maybe making goalie change, which he did, going from Ilya Sorokin to Semyon Varlamov. He was hinting at some juggling a couple of his forward lines, which I imagine meant maybe swapping Travis Zajac and Leo Komarov because he wasn't going to change the personnel. Uh, didn't do that, and the results were the Pajot line with Zajac on it was good. The Barzai line with Leo on it was good, even though Leo missed about mm, half a dozen chances within two feet of Tuka Rask, which, you know, it was what you're going to get with Leo. He's not Anders but Lee. But he's creating he- the chances. He, so, well, he's there when right. they're happening. That's for sure. Um, do you think that, um, you know, Barzell is creating a lot. Eberly was good. He he had his stick on a couple of rebounds that just fluttered away. He was in the right spot. They were creating a lot of a lot of rebound traffic uh, on Tuka Rask, which is also a good sign. Um, do they need to make a, an adjustment there to give Barzell a bit more of a finisher? I mean, they, they're limited in what they can do. Oliver Wallstrom is a possibility, Barry Trot says, for game three. We're not sure if that's necessarily gamesmanship or it could be a possibility. Um, do you feel like you just kind of go with what you had in a, in a very successful game, or is there tweaks that they're, they could still make to be even better uh, on home ice on Thursday? 
Well, I hesitate to answer this because whatever I say, I feel like it's Barry Trotz is going to do the opposite and prove me wrong. So he is listening. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure he's taking notes. <laughs> I don't even mean that. I just mean that he's going to go the other way and, and he, it's going to work. And then he's going to look as smart as I look dumb. But that's quite all right because there are different ways to look at this. Um, I think that I would, I do think Matt Barzell is a setup guy. And we've talked about that before. And somebody actually last night was asking me, do you, who do you think is better? Who do you think is more skilled, Pasternak or Barzell? And I thought that was a really interesting question because to me, they're both dazzling with their skill, but they're really different players. Yeah. And Barzell's a center, Pasta's a wing, Pasta's a just pure finisher. He's a goal scorer. Barzell's not. And now he's scored some beauties. Don't get me wrong. We've seen the highlight. I mean, I feel like we had the goal of the year candidate from Barzell like a couple weeks in a row this year through March or whatever, you know, the between the legs and some of the other things that he's done. So he's got that, but he, he's got great vision, great passing ability. And that's why he works so well with Everly, who is a finisher and, and Anders Lee, who can go and grind in the corners, but he also has that the good hands, the finishing touch. Leo can go grind in the corner, doesn't have the finishing touch. So right. do you put somebody like uh, Wallstrom up there? But to my problem with that is that there's nobody that's grinding in the corner. There's nobody that's bringing any physicality to that line. And I think then it's going to be easy. The Bruins are a big, heavy team. They're going to, they are going to bump and, and whack at that Barzell line. And, and it's going to be a lot easier if you don't have just a little bit of a heavy to go and, and grind in the corner. So I don't know that he's going to touch that line, especially because I, from what I heard from what Trot said, he was pleased with their effort last night, even though they didn't, didn't put up the offense that people expect of them. Um, if Wallstrom's back, you know, that's going to be a tough one because Zajac's playing so well. Yeah. I do expect him to put him back with Pajot, though. They had some magic. Um, they worked well. And then and then maybe, you know, depending on – we also don't know what's going on behind the scenes. It's a grind, right? Leo's – maybe he's – nicked up a little bit. And then maybe you do throw Zajac up on that top line. Again, you take away some of the physicality with that move. Um, so maybe Zajac takes a, takes a night off and watches from the press box. If Wallstrom's ready, that's what I would do. Yeah, that's a tough, I mean, I, I think Wallstrom should go back in. It gives them, you know, he, I think he showed even in the Pittsburgh series when they had Pajot matched against Crosby or Malkin that Wallstrom could hold his own, you know, playing without the puck and trying to be strong defensively. Um, and he certainly was physical in that series, so I don't think he's he'll be out of place against a Bruins team that's very physical. It can kind of match the Islanders on that front. Uh, the dilemma to, for me then becomes Zajac versus Komarov because Zajac has shown himself to be a guy who can be in there and be in any role, you know. And I think and I was I think the thing that surprised me a little bit when Barry hinted at that switch is you can afford to have Barzal out um, maybe against the perfection line, maybe against. Uh, that second line with Krejci because you have Zajac who's so good in the in the circle to take some of those draws. Leo is usually the one that takes the opposite side draws. The only difference that Zajac's a righty and Leo's a lefty. So depending on the side of the ice for a D zone or an O zone draw, it doesn't necessarily give a righty like Zajac an advantage. But having said all that, he's still pretty good on faceoffs and he knows how to defend. So I was a little surprised they didn't make that switch. It worked out well for them. You know, if Wallstrom comes back, I'd lean towards Zajac in over Leo, um, especially on home ice, because you have that last change. You can get the matchups you want. You can mix and match a little bit if things aren't going well. Um, but like you said, I tend to be wrong about these things. So <laughs> I imagine we're going to keep seeing Leo. And as I wrote, uh, it's always the idea that's in my head when I'm watching Komarov do the things that he does. You're going to be frustrated by the lack of finish. This is, mm -hmm. this is a guy who's – he is who he is. He's 33 years old. He's never been a big scorer. 
you know, might surprise you with a goal here and there, but it's not going to be a jam shot from in front of the net, an Anders Lee style goal. But then he does the stuff like, you know, f- taking somebody to the penalty box when he, you know, Brandon Carlo cross checks him 15 times after the whistle and they get a power play out of it and score a goal off it. So, um, you know, it's, it's maddening. And I'm sure it's, it, it feels, I think for an Islander fan rooting for a, a Leo Komarov uh, player on my team, it probably feels like playing against him where you're, you're frustrated, you're pissed off and you take it out on something. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, he is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yes. I, I, you know, I do think that Leo is just, he's one of those guys that we will, you just said it will always be frustrated when we see the opportunities that are missed. But uh, you know, you look at the opportunity that Zeke had in the overtime and the finish that he has, you know, and, and I couldn't help but think, God, if Leo got that opportunity and he, <laughs> and he missed it, how he would just, people would have crushed him. Right. But he does let, a lot of other let, good let's things. Let's be honest. Him. He wouldn't have even gotten to the red line <laughs> by himself. So I love, he, he skates about as well as I do, relatively speaking. Well, so if you, you know, but you take this, the good stuff that he does and we've said it, you know, I feel like a broken record, but he has the trust of Barry Trotz. Now, so that's why I do think he'll be back in. Now, with that said, I don't know what else is going on in terms of fatigue or other things. And during the playoffs, coaches are notoriously mum about anything that may be going on. And I'm not speculating on anything. He looked fine. He had no issue. But I do think at some point, if you're expecting a, a deep run, you've got to manage the the fatigue of some of your players. And he plays a pretty heavy game. So, so yeah, I'm going to be I, I, curious. I mean, this last night, we all sat there waiting, 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 which Russian goalie was going in, right? And now... If Wallstrom is good to go, what happens and what does Barry Trotz do? And and again, he does tend to push all the right buttons and he tends to have the pulse of the team. Uh, coming back to the Coliseum is big, right? And it's going to be loud in there. And does that does that play into it, right? When you've got a, a young kid like Wallstrom versus a veteran like Zajac, but time and time again, we've seen that Wallstrom is... I mean, he's pretty cool uh, under pressure. He's cool. You know, he doesn't seem bothered by the big moment and certainly Leo's not at all. So, you know, and I do think you make a really good point about the last change and the matchups that he can manage a little bit um, against the Bruins. So, so let's, let's wait and see. It's going to be fun. One thing we will probably not have to wait and see is who's in net. Um, <laughs> he went from Sorokin to Varlamov. Uh, they won. Varlamov made a, a few pretty big saves, including one on Taylor Hall in overtime just before Zizekas scored. So I think we don't need to debate what the decision will be. It's going to be Semyon Varlamov on Thursday for game three. Um, did you like the decision to go to Varlamov between one and two? Yes. I wasn't actually all that surprised. I felt like Barry Trotz was sort of waiting for an opportunity to put him back in, right? So he, it was Varlamov's net by all, by all accounts leading up to the first round matchup with Pittsburgh and, but he couldn't go, right? So Sorokin comes in, gets the win, and then Varlamov gets two losses. And it's really tough to not go with a goalie that got you the four wins, right? They knocked off a big team in Pittsburgh. But I also think that his situation coming into game two was, Okay, this is this is a hostile building. I mean, these fan they're they're letting in a lot more fans. It's really loud. Sorokin is as great as he's been, as calm as he's been under pressure. That's still a big situation. Um, and I think you know, and I I don't know. I haven't heard Barry Trotz talk about this, but I think rebounds were a little bit of a 
of a concern maybe. And Varlamov uh, historically does a fantastic job with his rebounds. Um, So I think that I wasn't surprised. And obviously it's easy to say this morning, right? What what is it? The Monday morning quarterback, they won in overtime. Great decision. I would have done the same thing. But I do think that, you know, again, you go back to Barry Trotz. People have a long leash with him and build up trust. And Varlamov's one of those guys that has a tremendous amount of trust with Barry Trotz. Um, and, And of course, I would be shocked unless barring any physical reason, I think that, of course, it's going to be Varlamov for game three. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. We'll get into a couple of the other series uh, in a second. I just, uh, from a broadcasting standpoint, this is something that I tweeted about a couple times and I mentioned in this piece that I wrote today, and I actually asked Barry about it today. Um, The off-ice officials in TD Garden had a bad night in game two. Um, They kept Matt Martin and and Nick Ritchie in the box on a four-on-four for about an extra minute plus, and as it happened, the Bruins were like really dominating. It was a 2-1 game. Didn't make any sense. I heard from our reporter Fluto Shinzawa in the building that Matt Martin was like rattling the door of the penalty box, the visitors' penalty box, to try to get out. Total mess up by the off-ice officials. Shouldn't happen in a playoff game, but um, and that one's just a one-off kind of thing. You hope. The weird thing to me is uh, counting shots. The first game, the shot attempt totals, I believe, were sixty-five thirty-eight in favor of the Bruins which seemed legit because the Bruins did throw a lot of pucks on Elias Sorokin. They had a lot of zone time. So you can sort of see it and say like, yeah, that, that seems to make sense. Last night in the first period, the Islanders are credited with six shots on goal and the Bruins are credited with 15. It was a very evenly played period. The Islanders had a lot of shots. They had a lot of rebound chances. Um, they were credited, I think, with 13 attempts, which was way low. I mean, it was at least 20. And this is relatively meaningless to people. You know, I asked Barry about it and he said, it's just irritating. Like you want to look at the sheet and feel like, oh, okay, this happened and this happened and maybe it helps jar your memory a little bit. The thing to me watching it, you know, watching it at home and seeing Pierre Maguire and Joe Micheletti and John Forslund, they have to quote these numbers that are totally false because the guys in the building, for whatever reason, are miscounting shots. As someone who relies on what you're hearing in your headset and they're looking at the scoreboard or you're looking at the scoreboard, is that kind of a, you know, you can't question it on the air because you got to keep going with the flow of the game. But is it just a weird thing if you're kind of like, I don't really, you know, you get kind of crossed up by what your eyes are telling you and what the scoreboard's telling you? Well, what I find interesting is for me, I'm not a big stats person. And I know a lot of people that, and I think analytics and, well, analytics are becoming more and more mainstream. And and a lot of broadcasters I work with are sort of in, integrating them more into the shows. And, and a lot of the viewers very much enjoy them. It's just not how my brain's wired. I use the eye test much more often. The way that stats help me is that if I see, for example, that uh, it's a really evenly played period, and then I look at the shots, and they are what you just said, super lopsided in the Bruins' favor, instead of questioning the actual number, what that tells me is that the Bruins shots came from outside. They weren't dangerous mm-hmm. shots, right? So then there's the high danger chances and there, you know, you get a little deeper into this stuff, but instead I'm, I am a very trusting person. So I, <laughs> I, I think that these NHL officials 
they should be the best at their job and uh, the best people at their job and they should do a good job. And I trust that they will. So I don't question it. I more question sometimes, wait, did I, maybe it wasn't as evenly played as the, or, right. you know, whatever it may be. Or for example, face-offs are such a weird stat anyway, because somebody could win it cleanly and then the wing jumps and it depends how they call it. Is it possession or is it where the puck actually goes? And you have right. Sidney Crosby who often quote unquote wins the faceoff forward, but is that, you know, so you do this whole thing, but I do the same thing. Like, okay, I really thought that Casey Sezekis was dominant in the faceoff dot. Oh, weird. He only won 20%. Well, to me, that says he, he won the important ones, right? So mm-hmm. I do think that as a broadcaster, I'm not willing to get on air and throw these off-ice officials under the bus because I don't know what their situation is in terms of what challenges they're facing. If there's some technology thing that they're having trouble with or their view, their viewing line or whatever, I'm hopeful that they're put in a position to succeed because we need them for us to succeed. We need them to succeed. Um, but it is a weird thing. And we're very lucky with the MSG broadcast that we get the great Eric Hornick and he does a phenomenal job yeah. with all the stats and he never misses, or, I mean, I I've never known him to miss. So, you know, we're very spoiled. And even when he's sometimes watching the game, he'll send us, send me stats while I'm working for NBC or things like that. So it, it is a weird thing when you, when you hear later that these stats were all wrong or, you know, it, it's just a, it sort of puts me off balance because again, I'm not willing to go there and ream these off-ice officials because I don't know what position they're put, being put in, but it does make our job a lot more difficult. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I have to say, I've covered the NHL long enough, you know, when Lou Lamarillo was in New Jersey, whether it was by design or just by happenstance, I think most players and coaches on the visiting side would know that the the shot totals on the board would be completely inaccurate. <laughs> um well, it's the, one of the funny things, actually, and Brendan and I have worked together on this, is that the players all wear tracking trackers now, right? right? So the time on ice is you can look at it. It's like an electronic thing. But the time on ice on the NHL app is, is human done. It's right. like, you know, right, it's done by a person. So they never match. And we're and we've Brendan and I have talked about that. Do we go by the official, not a, the official one on the NHL app when it is totally different from the actual tracker that is embedded in that guy's Jersey or like between his shoulder blades or wherever it is. And it's really, that's a tough one. Cause I'm like, I, I sort of feel like I should trust the electronic one, <laughs> but I don't think I'm supposed to. Yeah. And, and as anybody, as you know, as I know, years of being in press boxes, the NHL office officials are all pretty much volunteers. They wear their NHL blazers. There's some people have been doing it for a long time. They're great guys. They're almost always involved in, community hockey and youth hockey in the area, especially the guys on Long Island. And it's a tough job. You're, you're trying to do things with your eyes that computers can can do now, whether it's ice time, like you said, with trackers, shots or, or, or um, missed shots, face-offs, everything. Some of these things are not clear cut, you know, the giveaways, takeaways, which is something I've never really regarded because they never match up, you know, giveaways are somehow and takeaways never add up to zero or add up to the same number. Um, so it's it's difficult, and I and I've always wondered if the NHL was going to start to centralize it, especially in the playoffs. And I think you hit on it too with analytics. You know, when people uh, there's a lot of fans out there that want to look at these public data sites. I certainly look at Natural Stat Trick or or Evolving Hockey, um, places where you can get some some quick data, even in between periods. And if the basic numbers that are the raw numbers that are on the official play by play are wrong, then those un- analytic numbers are going to be wrong. And obviously. I could sit and watch the video and chart it myself, um, but that's hard to do during a game or hard to do right after when you're trying to write or evaluate on TV. Um, so it would be nice to have more accurate stuff. And whether it's by design in Boston or just 
it happened that way in the in this game. Um, it is it is a little bit frustrating. Irritating is a good word that Barry Trotz used. Anyway, we'll move on now to the Leafs. Um, Islander fans love to talk about the Maple Leafs, not in a complimentary way. So I think this is probably a good time to to bring up that group. I mean, um, well, wait. Let me ask you who who does like to talk about the Leafs in a complimentary way, other than <laughs> Leafs fans. Um, I mean, a lot of Canadian based media, uh, especially this year. Uh, which definitely heightens the frustration, I think, with a lot of fans of other teams. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was supposed to be the Leafs' year. They had a they had a pretty softened up division in the in the All Canada division. Um, the Canadians were were not a match for them skill wise, and here we are. Leafs are out again in the first round. A lot of uh, recriminations and soul searching going on today. What's what's your big picture view of this organization and this team? Well, it's, it was shocking. I will say that. I mean, it's, it was, you know, and I did, I will fully, I probably should have said this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, full disclosure. I had both, I was down in the restaurant of our hotel and we had both games on. So, um, we were watching what was going on in game seven and it, it was, it was truly, it was a, a true collapse. Right. And you look at, um, you know, and I saw, um, on Twitter, um, seven of the eight highest paid players, are now out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Carey Price is the is the only exception of the top eight play, uh, top eight paid players. Um, and so you look at the the payroll that the Leafs have and what they were what they were expected to do, what they've been expected to do, and now it's becoming to me uh, an albatross, right? Just a mental game. And what I find fascinating through the years is when people like us will say that you know, this team hasn't done this since 1983. And, and it, you're talking about the franchise, but like none of those people still are on the team anymore. Right. So it's, <laughs> it's hard to compare year to year to year when there's a revolving door of personnel. Now, a lot of the teams like the Islanders have a very strong core that have been around for a long time. Um, and, but for Toronto, you know, it, you can look back and say it, ha- you know, they haven't done well since X, Y, and Z, but they've had some guys on that team that, have been around and have collapsed early in the playoffs for the last couple of years. So I think it does become a mental game. And, you know, I, I will, I will fully admit that um, I, I didn't mind that. I don't, didn't mind watching Montreal beat them because there's a little bit of, you know, pleasure we'd all take in that as non Maple Leafs fans. But I was, I felt really sad for Joe Thornton. I would have loved to have seen a guy like that who has just been around forever such a phenomenal player and it's really hard at the tail end of his career to to see him not get an opportunity to compete further for the cup but you know those guys battled hard i don't i don't know i really truly i think that's the conundrum is that there's no answer right is it is a team made up of star do they not have a good team concept do they not have a good room like we all sit here and can give Lou Lamorello a ton of credit because of the guys that he brings in on the skill but we also know that Lou takes into account personality and the and the team guys and how and that's really critical. And maybe they aren't doing that as well up in Toronto. I don't know. I don't know the, the personnel of those guys as well. Um, so it's it's really a fascinating turn of events. And I mean, who had Montreal versus Winnipeg in their bracket? Anyone? <laughs> me. Anyone definitely, out there? Definitely not me. <laughs> you make an interesting point about about the core. And I, I was Justin Bourne, uh, who's been on our show and from Sportsnet, um, wrote this too. That you know they they went to great pains to bring in guys like Thornton and Wayne Simmons. Um, who are great team guys, really well-regarded people around the Felino. league. Felino. Right. Traded a first-round pick for Nick Felino. They got in Riley Nash, who I don't even think played in the series from Columbus. 
good veterans, guys that, that you know, the, the C word character, that's super important. But your core is your core. And the core of this team is Matthews and Marner and Nylander. Tavares, too, even though he missed pretty much the whole series. Yeah, which um, is horrible, too. Yeah, which was awful and hurt them a lot. And you can't really discount that. But if, you, if your other three highly paid guys are the, are the guys that you're leaning on, you can have as many character veterans around them as you want. But they are the guys that are going to go on the ice in the key moments. And that no amount of pep talks from Jumbo Joe can help them. And I think if you want to bring it back to the Islanders, when people say, why is Josh Bailey you know, on this team? Why, why We should get rid of him and get somebody more talented and puts the puck in the net more. Well, Barry Trotz values character. Lou Lamarillo values character. Josh Bailey has a lot of character. It's not something that people see all the time. But when you're one of your core guys, whether it's him or Brock Nelson or maybe some of their younger guys like you know Casey Sezikis, um, Anthony Beauvillier, if you have character guys that are the ones that are out there in the key times, Ryan Pollock, you put in the, and Adam Pellick too, um, those are the guys who drive the bus. And if they're the ones that are on the ice, throwing their bodies around, ma- taking a hit to make a play, scoring a big goal, um, mixing it up after a whistle, whatever it is, that's how your whole team lifts itself up. And I think as middle of the road as the Islanders are skill-wise, um, you can see the value of that. It's Whether it's Edmonton or Toronto, um, you can't just say we're going to pay these young guys a big boatload of money and they're going to score a lot of points in the regular season and then they'll be our leaders. It just doesn't work that way. No, I, I and I totally agree with you. I think that that's, that's the um, the nuance of being a GM, right? I mean, and we were just talking about analytics and all those websites and, you know, we can talk about the movie Moneyball and, you know, how Brad Pitt's character, you know, looked at analytics in a different way to draft a baseball team. All those numbers are important. There's no question. But really the, the art of being a GM is trying to read who's going to, how are you going to fit these puzzle pieces together? Who's going to be the best team as opposed to the best skilled players, right? And that's, you know, you even look at when they go to the World Cup of Hockey or the Olympics and how these GMs try to put together, do they just take an all-star team from Canada? Because then they may be so skilled they can walk over anybody. But at the end of the day, you may have somebody come along who who maybe has that heart and soul, that leadership and all those intangibles that are so critical. And, you know, we were talking about Casey Zizekas. Nobody questions his value on the team because he's not expected to score goals like a Josh Bailey is. But the two of them are such critical components of that locker room. And, you know, great for Casey Zizekas to get a huge goal like that. Again, it's sort of exceeding the expectations. Whereas for Josh Bailey, if he doesn't score, everyone's like, why expose him in the draft? We don't want him anymore. But we, none of us, know exactly the value he brings behind closed doors. Only those guys on the team with Barry Trotz know exactly um, that value. And not, and we're singling him out because I think he had some, some droughts this year where people questioned it. But, you know, I think you look up at Toronto and they, they certainly, I mean, I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to get fired, who's going to be exposed, how they rework that roster. But I mean, something's got to change when you look at the drought that's been up in Canada, all those teams from getting a Stanley Cup, but also just in the, the Leafs locker room and um, in their management. And right about now, if we were uh, doing this in the visual medium, we just throw up that picture of Lou Lamarillo with that sly little smile on his face, because <laughs> since he left Toronto, zero playoff series wins for the Leafs, and now five and counting for the for Lou Lamarillo's Islanders. So uh I'm sure the little bit of the little bit of irony there is uh is very is very enjoyable for Islanders Nation. So uh we didn't even get to your series that you're working on, Tampa Carolina, but I have a sneaking suspicion that that one will be going on about as long as Islanders Bruins. So when we get back next week, 
wherever you are, we can we can throw that one in and talk Break about it. Break it down. All right. There'll I think be more, more might, than one game to talk about, so it'll be right. better than anyway. These two will still be going on. Well, thank you, AJ. Enjoy your, uh, your broadcast tonight and your travels uh, in the Southeast. All right. Well, thank you very much. Always fun to talk Isles. And everybody, we'll be back again next week with another No Sleep Till Belmont because the playoffs are going to keep on rolling for the Islanders, at least in the second round and maybe beyond. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, Whatever platform you listen to us on, Apple, Spotify, wherever, be sure to subscribe, leave leave us a review. It really helps us out. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do so at theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont to get the latest deal. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next week.